Uh, it's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, we are going to be in, again, First Thessalonians, and I think it's a, an appropriate uh, song that we had just recently sang in light of uh, what we will be talking about this morning and for the next few weeks in our short series, uh, Encouragements While We Wait. Let me get to, there we go. First Thessalonians and chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. We will be reading verses 12 and 13. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please, let's pray and then let's be seated. Our gracious God and Father, we do ask for your grace this morning and for your strength. Lord, we ask that you would give us humble hearts, that you would give us minds that discern, uh, that you would give us, Lord, uh, peace as we consider your word. Give us, Lord, uh, minds, ears, hearts, and eyes, Lord, this morning, that we may consider and know your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would assist us, that you would be our dear and great helper. I, Lord, I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, saints. Well, brothers and sisters, we return to our short series of the study of the fifth chapter of the book of First Thessalonians, where the Apostle Paul is encouraging both the Church of Thessalonica and the Church Catholic, that is the Universal Church, to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. The Apostle says concerning that blessed day of the return of Christ, for you yourselves know full well the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. We considered this last week. The church is encouraged to know both the times and the seasons of the Lord's return and to look forward to the blessed coming of our blessed Redeemer. And while we wait in hopeful expectation, the apostle gives commands for the church while we wait. We would notice firstly that the first thing in the list of priorities for those who wait for the blessed return of Christ is that Paul commands uh, we how to us how to conduct ourselves in the local church. Interesting. Of all the institutions that could be targeted as the highest on the list of priorities for those who wait for Christ, the apostle, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not target the institution of marriage as primary and first. The apostle Paul does not target the institution of parenting as we wait he does not say first and foremost, while you wait for Christ, love your wife. He does not say first and foremost, while we wait for Christ, disciple your children. The institution that Paul targets is not even the civil magistrate, not the government. Rather, of all the institutions that the Apostle Paul could target, he targets the institution of the local church, of the body of Christ. And he targets the responsibilities that elders have to their members and that members have to their elders. Uh, not even members, first and foremost, to one another, but elders to their members and members to their elders. Well, there's a few assumptions there, isn't there? The Apostle Paul assumes that 
those who are believing in the return of Christ, waiting for the return of Christ, will be in the local church. If you are waiting for Christ, where should you be? Especially on his day. In the local church. Where do you find those who believe in Christ and who believe in the return of Christ? In the local church, not at home. Not preparing for who will uh, win tonight. They are in the local church. Paul gives, therefore, commands to the elders of these local churches and to its members concerning how we should conduct ourselves while we wait for the return of Christ. And notice the relationship again is first targeted or focused elder to their members. So this morning, with God's help, we shall consider three points concerning the commands to elders and the commands to the church while we wait. Number one, the responsibilities of the shepherds to the sheep. Number one, the responsibility of the shepherds to the sheep. We can read verse 12 again, I think. But we request of you, brethren, that's the church, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Paul commands the church to respect or to appreciate those who labor among you. Number one, those who have charge over you. Number two. And those who give you instruction, number three. Paul is not describing three different kinds of people in the church, but rather one office. It is the office of the elder and his, their responsibilities. It's vital that we understand that your elders are described in Ephesians chapter four as being God's gift to you, the local church. Brothers and sisters, Your elders are a gift from God to you. Your elders are not your burden. They are your your unique, your unique gift from God. They have been given to you to be used by God through the ministry of the word and by the working of the spirit. Listen to this to work things in you and to work things out of you. As your elders Bring the word of God, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. They are, by the word and by the spirit, being used to work things in you and work things out of you. Elders are God's gift to the local church. And Paul describes their work again. Uh, They labor, they have charge, and they instruct. Brothers and sisters, Paul is describing what, uh, not necessarily what an elder is to be, but what an elder is to do. In first Thessalonians, in first Timothy chapter five, we can see instructions on what an elder requirements on what an elder is supposed to be here in first Thessalonians. We are seeing what an elder is supposed to do. So let's consider these responsibilities described by the apostle Paul. They are those who, number one, labor. Uh, your elders should diligently work hard and with their work, there should be fruit coming forth from their work. Elders. Work hard. And it is uh, summed up, their work is summed up in the book of Acts as simply this. Ministering the word and prayer. What is the summation of the work of your elders? They are to minister the word of God and to pray. Secondly, Paul describes as an elder as one who oversees. A one who manages. Elders have been given oversight or government over the church In the ministering of the word. What do they govern? The ministry of the word. Prayer. The sacraments. And discipline. Elders are to oversee these different categories. They have been given to them by God. And finally, the responsibility of the elder is to instruct. Elders are to admonish. They are to instruct your minds. They are to inform your minds. They are to bring correction to the the disobedient and encouragement to the obedient. The elder informs. He tells the truth. He exposes falsehoods. Uh, Elders, through God's word, call you to the path of righteousness, to truth. 
In these responsibilities, we are given a, a helpful summary of the call of the elder. But what the Apostle Paul says here is not all that God says in his word concerning the responsibility of the elder. Consider First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. The Bible says there, just as you know how we, if you're taking notes, we is important, we're exhorting, there's one, encouraging, there's another, and imploring each of you as, here's one, a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Elders are those who exhorted, encouraged, and implored the members, and they did so as fathers. Paul said we, uh, that is uh, assuming a plurality of elders, that more than one, the writers of the book of Thessalonians were Paul, Timothy, and Silvanius. They composed this letter together. They oversaw the church as fathers oversee their children. They exhorted the church as children. They encouraged the church as children and implored the church so that the church would walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God. Let's go through each of these. The elder is to encourage are you encouraged by your elders? The elders are to support you as we press on together toward the upward call in Christ Jesus. Uh, they are to tell you and encourage you, keep going. See Christ ahead. Your reward draws near. Press forward. But dear ones, the call of the minister is not only to encourage. Sometimes we only would like to be encouraged and nothing else. But the elder is also to exhort that is, they are to incite by way of argument or even advice. They are to give sound arguments. And we do this by imploring you. Uh, we don't just encourage you. Praise God for encouragement. But there's more. Uh, we exhort you through our preaching and through our conversations. We hope to give you good advice. We hope to correct misunderstandings. We hope even to give sound arguments, even by way sometimes of explaining and we do this in, in, an, in an imploring kind of way. We are urging you. We are impl imploring you to believe. We are earnestly pleading with you to follow the path of Christ. To turn to this truth and turn away from that falsehood. The one who labors then. The one who has charge then. Over the church. The one who teaches. Also encourages, exhorts and implores the church. But there is more. First Timothy 4 and 2. Paul charges Timothy to preach the word. The elder must be ready, he says, in season and out of season. But he also must, listen to this, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and do so with great patience and instruction. The elder must be ready to preach at all times. You've heard this in season and out of season, haven't you? It simply means that we are to be ready to preach in favor favorable situations and in unfavorable situations. We are to be ready to preach when uh, the church is for us. And we are to be ready to preach when the world is against us. In season and out of season. Uh, when there are no hindrances and when there are hindrances, be ready to preach the word. The elder is to be prepared. Preparation is no small task. Some of you should know this. But the elder is to three. Uh, for three of these, re reprove. Reprove is to reprimand. And that is to scold. That's the responsibility of the elder. We don't like that. But it is one of their responsibilities. The elder is to rebuke. A rebuke is a sharp uh, expression of disapproval or criticism. The elder is to rebuke. I was telling Brother Anthony a few moments ago before church, of a person from years back who unfortunately had to be rebuked and did not take rebuke very well. We have seen that exhortation is to strongly encourage someone, but to do so with great patience. Uh, dear saints, uh, let's build upon this now. The apostle has commanded the responsibility of the elder as those who labor, govern, admonish, those who encourage, exhort, and implore. And again, the responsibility is not done. They must reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And he must do all of these things with great patience as a father would his son. Now, these are 
a lot of responsibilities on the shoulders of the elder. And he does not do so without the help of the Holy Spirit. There are positive teachings, instruction and encouragement, negative teachings, uh, reproving and correcting. Again, reproving is to show someone that an argument or idea is false. When I prove something, and if you reprove it, you have demonstrated that it is false. One of the responsibilities of the elders is to reprove members. To correct their false ideas or false understandings. Reproving involves correcting, listen to this, doctrinal errors. That's the reprove. And this is normally done through the preaching and ministering of the word. Right now, some of you may be reproved through the ministry of the word. This is normally when it's done. When you became a member of this church, you agreed to come under the doctrinal oversight of the elders of this church. You have said, I agree to allow you to teach me what is true and what is false. I agree to this. This is why we encourage those who are coming into this church, potential members, come for a while. Hear the preaching of the word. Read the confession. Read the constitution. See if you really want to be a part of this church. Because when you do, you are agreeing to humbly come under the doctrinal oversight of the elders. You are giving us both the responsibility and the invitation to reprove any doctrinal errors you might have. I'm submitting to the doctrine of the church. I'm also inviting you. Where I am wrong, please correct me. Uh, Pastor Richard Barcelo said to us years ago, you say to members who are incoming, you are joining us. We are not joining you. I think that's been a helpful uh, encouragement. Rebuke is something different. A rebuke is related to moral errors. Reprove is related to doctrinal errors. Rebuke is related to moral errors. It is to call someone from sin and to, to turn to the path of holiness and righteousness. This can be done through the preaching of the word. But it also can be done and is usually done personally. Going to an individual and calling them to repent and turn from their sin. It can be done through the preaching of the word. It, Thankfully or hopefully, it is done through the preaching of the word. But there are times when it must be done personally, person to person. In the same way that we give the responsibility and the invitation to reprove any doctrinal errors, we also give the responsibility and the invitation to rebuke if we happen to be walking in paths of sin and darkness. Uh, We say to the elders with humility, if I'm walking in sin, I am asking you, I am inviting you, rebuke me. So that I do not go the way of Cain. Notice that Paul says elders are over you in the Lord. We have limitations to our oversight. We have limitations to our governing. There are jurisdictions that God has placed on the elder. The elder is not over the church in all things. The elder has no right or say in what kind of car you should buy. What kind of TV you should have or not have. Where you can live or not live. And truthfully, who you can and cannot marry. Elders have oversight over the doctrinal aspects of your life and the moral aspects of your life in terms of the law and gospel. Those are the jurisdictions that God has set over over the elders in the church. Any minister who micromanages the members is going far beyond the boundaries and jurisdictions that God has set for them. You can't eat there. You can't wear that. You can't root for that team. Purple pants, you're not allowed to wear those. That kind of elder is ruling beyond the boundaries set by God. We have ministerial authority so that we can minister to the souls of the people of Christ. Dear ones, praise God for the work of the minister. Praise God for the work of the minister. His labor is one that has been given to him by God, and it is recognized by the church. The church of Thessalonica had elders over the church, as did all most local churches. Their work was and is, until Christ returns, minister the word of God and pray. Brothers and sisters, we're praying tonight. May I say to you, I need you to pray with me. We are praying tonight. I need your prayers. I need your your presence here To see that you are supporting not only this church, but you are supporting your elders who have been called to preach and to pray. We need you here. 
The responsibility of the elder while we wait and return for the return of Christ is to labor, to govern, to admonish. The, the elder is to reprove, to rebuke, rebuke and to admonish. Again, uh, the, the work of the elder is to encourage, to exhort, and to implore the church. Be prepared to meet Christ. In this work given by God, the elders labor to prepare those whom he has been entrusted with to be prepared for the return of Christ, for Christ to come to us or for us to go to him. That's our job. Ultimately, the work of the elder is to prepare God's people to stand in God's presence, approved as faithful servants of Christ. We do as... uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, we give guided tours to the celestial city every single Lord's Day. We lead people to the waters and then we return and bring others back. Dear saints, I pray that you see that your elders are a gift from God to you. This is the work of the elder to the church. But the church is given responsibilities as well. Let's go to, secondly, our second point, the responsibilities of the church to the overseer, that is the elder. Verse 13. And that you esteem them, listen to the wording, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And we won't consider this this week, but next week. Live in peace. Live in peace with one another. Dear saints, the responsibility of the church to its elders. uh, What is it? Paul says, listen to this, very highly esteem. Your elders. Think of those words. Very highly esteem. Uh, one theologian pastor uh, translated this as super mega ultra. Super mega ultra. Listen to the wording. Very highly esteem. Your elders. It's an extraordinary esteem. I, I must confess this can be a very awkward point to deliver. Uh, Because I'm the one delivering it and I happen to be an elder. But it's also awkward because we have been abused by so many false teachers. It would cause elders who have been abused by many false teachers to shy away from this point because of the abuse that, very frankly, many of us have experienced or even heard of in the church. But this is God's command for the church. It's been abused by men, but it's still God's command. So then, what's the right way to view this command? Paul tells the church that they are to esteem your elders very highly in love. It literally means esteem them beyond every other earthly office. Esteem them beyond, above and beyond, every other earthly office. Think of the offices that are held in this world, brothers and sisters. Mayors. Governors, congressmen, vice presidents, presidents, kings, queens, princes. We highly esteem them. Uh, We look at them and we are sometimes in awe of those who hold these offices. But Paul is commanding the church. Esteem your elders higher than they. Esteem your elders higher than them. Brothers and sisters, think about sports stars. Think about actors. Think about musicians. We wear their shirts. We wear their jerseys. We have posters of them on our walls. Paul is commanding the church, esteem your elders higher. That's weird for some of us, isn't it? What does that mean? That I should be wearing a t-shirt with my pastor's face on it? Maybe a poster of him on my wall? Not in the least. And any minister worth his salt would never advocate such activity. We don't want to be glorified. It's that you value them because of their work. You value them because of their work and because their work is greater than any other work on the face of this earth. Our elders should be esteemed and our esteem for them should surpass any other office in all the world. Think about this. I got some flack about this when I preached at a church uh, many couple years ago in that we sometimes and and I I mean this respectfully. We don't mind calling doctor doctor. We don't mind calling the president Mr. President. 
We don't mind calling uh, these different offices according to their office. But when it comes to our local pastors, they're just Jim and Bob. I got flack from that. Why doesn't mean he's, is he not Jim? Of course he's Jim. But do you know that a hundred years ago they used to just be called Reverend? They used to just be called my pastor. Now they're just Jim and Joe. The church has lost all respect because we are an anti-authoritative community. Anything that that leads to someone that might have some kind of office of authority, we shy away from it. He's just like you and I. Of course he is. But he has a higher office than you do. Do we really need explanation for this command? Governors and doctors, they care for your external well-being. Sports stars and actors, they entertain. But your elders, they declare the law and the gospel through the eternal word of God, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. They care for your soul. Elders point you to Christ. Elders expand the living word. Elders shepherd your soul. Elders shepherd you in ways that challenge you to grow, that are meant for your sanctification so that you might be prepared to stand before God. Well, it does put things in perspective, doesn't it? My wife and I went to... uh Game six or so of the Golden State Warriors versus the Boo, LeBron James, whatever team he's on. In Oakland. And we were on cloud nine when the Warriors won the championship. We drove home, didn't sleep all night. I highly esteem Steph and Clay and KD for overcoming the evil LeBron James. But it was short lived. We had the worst record in the league last year. We're barely going to sneak into the playoffs this year. You see the ebbs and flows, the lack of dependency that comes when you put all of your hope and all of your your, uh, dreams and wishes into things that are temporal. The elders labor among you. They govern, they admonish, they exhort, they encourage, they rebuke. They should be esteemed highly because of their work. The work of the elder compared to the work of all other offices is incomparable. Incomparable. What kind of esteem is Paul speaking of? Well, let's just say this. It's not abasing members and exalting elders, not in the least. It's just simply loving them. Loving your elders. It's appreciating them. Those who care for you week after week to care for your souls. It's not speaking bad about them. It's giving them the benefit of the doubt when they say something wrong. It's being patient with them with them when you don't see them being as perfect as you would like them to be. It's loving them. It's praying for them. It's encouraging them. Brothers and sisters, ministers provide Christ for the sheep of Christ. Your ministers, if he's worth his salt, he's not preparing fruity pebbles for you to eat on the Lord's day. He's thinking of the best way to prepare a filet mignon for you. He's not brainstorming with other progressive innovators of new age church trying to think of ways to make your church experience more enjoyable. No. He's on his knees praying that God would transform souls by his word and spirit. He's sitting at his desk laboring through the word of God. He's looking at different translations of God's word so that people might grasp the depths of the knowledge of God. He's mining through God's word, finding treasures to share with the sheep. He's reading commentaries to see what other faithful men have labored to find. He's putting the kids to bed. And while they sleep, he's up until dawn working and laboring. Love and appreciate your elders. Because of their work. Dear ones, there's no pride in describing the work of the elder. None at all. He does not, he does not want you to give him anything other than your appreciation and your love. That's it. No money, no cars, no jewelry, no Close, just love and respect your elders. 
the church is commanded to care for their elders. Do you esteem your elders? Do you value them? Is their work valuable to you? Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul, he connects the honor of the church to the sufficient supply for the elders. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9, provide for your elders. Uh, Paul would say you give food to the ox who treads the grain. Why wouldn't you provide for your elders? Truthfully, no minister should ever be worried about the basic needs of their life. Not living in lavish homes, not driving the, the most fancy car. Your elders should not be worried about, will they be able to pay their PG&E? Will they be able to have food on their tables? No elders should worry about that. It's the responsibility of the church to care for your elders. You must also submit to your elders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your elders, leaders, submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, he says. As elders do the work of the elder, they have been given authority by Christ to work. And in this work, we submit to them with great joy and cheer. Dear ones, it is not to your advantage, not to your advantage to make the work of your elder difficult. It is to your advantage to make their work a joy and a cheer. You do not want your elders to suffer while they prepare to lead the sheep. The church does not benefit when your elders uh, must prepare to study to pray and to think, listen, in pain. You will not benefit from the gift that God has given you in the local church if your elders are laboring in pain. Dear ones, it is to your advantage, though, if your elders prepare and pray and preach to a church that is cheerful and joyfully receiving the word. You know, it is encouraging when your elders stand up here and we can see most of the members here. It's encouraging. Well, the the members may say, but I need encouragement. Well, that's one of our responsibilities. Guess when you can be encouraged? When you're here. I need someone to help me. Guess when you will most often be helped? When you are here. We're going to get into some of the things in just a few moments. One of the ways that we will discuss uh, also that you can help your elders to let this job be a cheer for them is to live at peace with one another. To be in the church and there be no division. There be unity. Oh, what a joy. I said this to Brother Bobby a few weeks ago. Oh, gosh, it seems like years ago now, Brother Bobby. Uh, look around, brother. I remember we were standing right back at the final pole, the one that everybody, all of our kids hit their heads on. Uh, look around, Brother Bobby. He says, what is it, Pastor? And I said, everyone in here is getting along. You remember that, brother? They're all getting along, brother. I said, this hasn't happened in years. Maybe since we first began. And... I know for Pastor Isaiah and I, it's it's much easier to prepare for a church that is united than for a church that is divided. When the local church highly esteems the elders for the work that he is called to, and when we leave it, live in peace with one another in the local church, the church will experience, listen to this, the best of what God has to offer in the elder to the local church. You want the best of what your elder has to offer? Highly esteem him. Live in peace with one another. Receive the word with cheer and joy. Brothers and sisters, that will make the work of the elder enjoyable. I can't imagine the pastor of the church of Corinth, what his life was like. Those of you who know a little bit about the church of Corinth, there was a church filled with all sorts of pains and difficulties. And every time the Apostle Paul wrote, it was more and more, I can't believe you guys. 
Brothers and sisters, the elders are called to labor, to govern, and to instruct. The church is called to very highly esteem them for their work, to submit to them, live in peace with one another, while we wait for the return of Christ. Are there challenges to this? Of course there are. Let's finally, third and finally, let's go through some challenges and also address some man-made traditions. Let's go through some challenges and let's address some man-made traditions. Uh, Brothers and sisters, because of remaining sin... There has, uh, that has yet been put to death, the church will experience challenges. Oftentimes, I believe these challenges are, arise because of expectations that we have both about our elders and our operation, the operation of the church. And those expectations are often rooted in traditions, our own experiences that have been not been taught in the scriptures, but have been made up and devised by men. We must be honest. Uh, we have all, we all have a background. We all have a tradition. Whether again, it be from our own experience, what we've experienced pastors to be like, or from what our family, or from what our friends have told us, or even what's portrayed in the media. You may not have had a church experience. You may not have grown up in church, but you've heard something about what you think church is and what it is not. And I think all of us, when we've come into the church, we have had some of those traditions maybe squashed or challenged in many kind of ways. And we said, I thought church was supposed to be. And then you find out it's something different. We must be willing to address these expectations. We must be willing to address these traditions and evaluate whether or not they are from God. Whether or not God has commanded them or or prescribed them for the church. Or whether or not they're just things from our tradition. That we've held on to without realizing it. Or things from our backgrounds that we've grown up without realizing it as well. If from God's word, then it is our responsibility to hold your elders accountable. This is what God's word says. If from our background and traditions, then they must be brought under the submission of God's word. I think we can agree that God's prescriptions are far greater than our prescriptions. So then, in... uh, Let's talk then, in conclusion, very briefly about some common challenges and traditions and even assumptions that we might have for our elder, for our elders. Uh, let me first begin by making something very abundantly clear. Just because an elder has a higher position does not mean that they are a superior person. Just because they have a higher office does not make them a higher life form. An elder must never lord his office over another. I'm an elder. You must obey me. No. Uh, The Lord Jesus said to the disciples, look at the Pharisees. They lord their office over the people. You are not to be that way. We should, an elder should never lord his office or feel or even make himself seem as if he is superior to everyone else. We have a superior office. But we ourselves are not superior. God sets the office. The elder must take this office with great humility and grace. Humility and grace. Let's address an an expectation or assumption. Elders are not sinless. They are not sinless, glorified creatures. Oftentimes, in the local church, we are disappointed when we soon learn that the elders... They're not Jesus. They're not perfect. The church has high expectations for the elders. Pause. And they should. The elders have high expectations for the elders. And they should. But they, me, we must remember that elders have not yet arrived. We are not yet glorified. So we must be gracious with our elders and respect them as men of God. But nevertheless, men. Feet of clay we have. The qualifications of a minister simply mean that we are excelling in holiness. We are progressing in holiness. We are not yet holy. But we will fail. And you know that we have failed. And that we have failed often. But if our failures show that we are not willing to conform to holiness, then brothers and sisters, we should not be your elders. If you're looking at us and 
we're not getting better, we're getting worse. <laughs> then something should be done. But if you're looking at us and saying, yeah, you're getting better. You're not there yet, but you're getting better. Then you could also look at yourself, hopefully, and say, neither am I. I'm not there yet either, but I, I hope that I'm getting better too. The church is called to respect them. Esteem them highly in love. But you will find at times that your elders do not walk in ways that are holy. Brothers and sisters, may I encourage you, be gracious to them and pray for them. It is our goal to be an example, to be one example that can be followed, but we do not always set paths that should be followed. We must be worthy of respect, not just because of our office, not just because of what we know, but also because of how we live. And there will be times, and I say to my shame, when we don't meet every single expectation. Forgive us for that. Be gracious with us when we fail. Brothers and sisters, let's uh, consider another one. Would you notice that the responsibility, uh, that there are some responsibilities that are not on this list that Paul has listed for us? The elder is not called to be your best friend. There are some who will leave churches because they don't have personal relationships, intimate relationships with their elders. It's not a part of their their job description. Now, are there friendships that develop in the church? Of course. Are there friendships that elders have with other members that might be better than others? Sure. But he's not required to be that same relationship to all the other members. It's not a requirement. The elder is not called or required to agree with you on all matters. There will be times when you say something to your elders and they don't agree with you. And sometimes that may shock us. It's not their requirement. Their requirement is to exhort and to correct if need be. And it's our responsibility to accept that humbly. It's not the requirement of the elder to be the most charismatic. There are plenty of other, maybe millions of other men who are way more uh, charismatic. I don't consider myself any of these things. Charismatic, good looking, uh, well speaking, can sing and preach, uh, dress nice, all those other kinds of things. The elder is not required to do any of those things. The elder is not required, and we'll talk about this in a moment, to be of a certain age. The elder is not required to be married for a certain amount of years. I'll join that church because the elder has been married for 20 years, and I like that. That's not a requirement. The elder is not required to have a certain amount of kids. He has 10 kids. He can shepherd me and my family. He has one kid. He has enough time to shepherd me and my family. Neither one of those are required. The elder is not required to be in the process of adopting more children. Now, the elder is not required to be on the radio. I go to his church. You know, he's on the radio. The elder is not required to have influences, influence that reaches further beyond the local church. Uh, you know, he has gone to preach at different churches and he's going to the uh, national conference this year. Well, good for you. The elder is not required to have a certain amount of books that he has authored. He's not required to have graduated with a certain amount of theological credentials. These are things that are good. Let me not discount that. If a minister is on the radio, praise God, we need word, the word of God on the radio. The minister has uh, influence beyond the local church. Praise God for that. The Lord has given him influence. If the minister is able to speak at a national conference, praise God for that. If the word of God is, is going to reach more people, praise God for it. But don't require that of your local elders. Those are things that we admire, not things that God requires. Dear saints, there are so many other things that I can mention that often uh, are placed in the church as high requirements of an overseer, but are nowhere requirements or mentioned by God. Therefore, let us be aware of placing requirements on the elder that God has not placed. And let us be diligent in recognizing some of our assumptions, some of our expectations, some of our traditions, and submitting them under God's word. And finding out what is God required for my elder. It is that which I will require of him also. Let's go into some that we can maybe dress, uh, jump into for a little bit longer. One of the traditions that we must address is the acknowledgement and acknowledge is that the elder must be of a certain age in order to be qualified for the office of an elder. 
It's a common tradition that in order for a man to hold the office of an elder, he must actually be elderly. Brothers and sisters, nowhere is that a requirement in Scripture. In fact, Paul encouraged the young pastor Timothy not to allow himself to be looked down upon because of his youth. Is age helpful? It can be. Is youth helpful? It can be. What's more important? Faithfulness to the responsibilities of the elder that God has required. And we must not require more than God has required. Is that young man faithfully preaching God's word? Yes. Then submit to him. Is that older gentleman faithfully preaching God's word and doing so uh, in the way that God has required? Yes. Then submit to him. Do not look at their age and say, too young for me, too old for me. Is God's word being preached? Then it's just right. Paul calls the church to respect, esteem, and to love. And he does not mention age as being a prerequisite for honor. Another act of uh, to beware of is trying to shake your elder into another elder. Because of the internet age, we are all exposed to a variety of different ministers, personalities, ideas, and pursuits. Well, you know, the pastor that I grew up with, he did this. I saw this pastor on the internet doing this. I know another pastor in another city who does this. And we may outright not say it, but in mentioning what another pastor is doing, we're often telling pastor, this is what you should do. Praise God for the diversity of gifts in the body of Christ and among pastors who uh, have different gifts. But we must resist the temptation of trying to mold our pastor into somebody that he's not. Rejoice for who they are and the ways that God is using them in your life. We must be aware of the temptation to think that the elder can be all things that we want them to be. They just can't. What is their responsibility? Preach the word. Pray. Administer the sacraments. Make sure that I am faithful. We are faithful in church discipline. That's our responsibility. Are they doing those things well? Yes. Then why do you want to leave the church? I just don't like him that much. I wish that there was another, there's another guy that I think, yeah, same kind of doctrine, same kind of confession. I just like them better. The body of Christ is a wonderful diversity of gifts. One is a leg, one is a hand, one is a foot. And all of these gifts, they work together. Usually, let me just say, in my experience, all of the needs of the church sometimes often ends up at the pastor's door. Everything that's needed and often valid needs, good ideas, frustrations, needs of the church, etc. And it is a blessing when the church takes up the responsibility to care for the church in the, in the device, diverse ways that arise. Your elders can't and are not supposed to handle everything. What did the apostles do when they were uh, calling the deacons to the service of the church? They were saying, Deacons, we need you to clean and serve so that we can preach and pray. Because this responsibility is too much for us to do all on our own. Praise God for some of you who are not in the office of a deacon, but who operate in ways that deacons operate. Some of you call one another. Some of you check in on one another. Some of you give information. Some of you check to see if there are needs in the church that's wonderful because if your elders are responsible or in charge of doing all those things, then what time will we have to, pre- to prepare to preach? What time will we have to pray? It's wonderful when the church takes up these responsibilities. Sometimes members don't look to other members, but only to the minister. And we can never fulfill all the expectations that arise. And we're not necessarily called to either. Is there a way that you can help take some things off of the minister's table? Maybe ask him. Uh, there's one member here who does that often. Anything I can do to help? Anything I can do to alleviate some of your uh, responsibilities? Uh, one of the members even says to me uh, very often, Hey, do you want something partic- uh, particular to eat tonight? And while I uh, uh, like to avoid that temptation of, uh, I don't know if it's Grubhub or DoorDash where the commercial says, I want it all. And it shows all these different variety of foods. It's a blessing at least just to be asked. The response is usually no, thank you, I appreciate that. But it is a blessing to at least be asked. Another challenge is that of discipline. 
We all know that correction and discipline are never fun. We all, if we're honest, even myself, we resent correction. If pride is involved when a minister seeks to reprove or correct a member, then there's a possibility for the member to be resented. You never want to be having a minister preach to you, and and while he's preaching to you, you resent that minister. Uh, Our minds go in different places because I just don't want to hear you right now. I'll get on my phone. No one can see what I put. I'll put it on dark mode. No one can see, but 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 what I can see. I'll just I'll I'll tune out until he's done. Because of resentment, we don't ever want that to be the case. It's possible that ministers often reprove and rebuke in ways that are uh, not the most digestible. Which is our responsibility. If we are to reprove, if we are to rebuke, then we must do so as a father, not a harsh father, but a loving father to his children. And that takes work on our part as well. I pray that as I get hopefully older or at least more mature, that I can be better at those rebuking times when the person who I am reproving or, re- or rebuking sees it as a father or receives it as a father. We must not be harsh when we rebuke. We must not be harsh when we reprove. But we, members, we must also uh, not be so sensitive. We have we have welcomed rebuke. We have said, it's your responsibility, pastor. And I am inviting you to reprove me and to rebuke me. If If you don't do this, I'm not allowing you to do your job. So I must be humble and receive it. Your job to give it, my job to humbly receive it. Your job to give it to me in the most loving of ways, but to give it to me. My job to receive it because you're caring for my soul. And I submit to that. We must desire this part of the ministry, of our minister, because it's a part of his calling over our lives. The two are involved. They are connected. Paul said in chapter 2 of Thessalonians, we are not to flatter the sheep. Now, there's a great chasm between and difference between encouragement and flattery. We are coming to please if we are coming to please you and just tell you the things that you love to hear. If we're saying just all the things that make you feel good about yourself, even when you're wrong, then we're flattering you. We're not helping you. You know, those who when they have made a mistake, you say, oh, it's OK. You don't even say to them, no, yes, you've made a mistake. Don't flatter me. If I've made a mistake, I've made a mistake. Tell me I'm wrong. It takes a, a great deal of maturity to embrace that and to accept that. I am wrong. I will accept it. I need to put on my big boy or big girl pants right now and just accept, okay, I'm wrong. And this rebuke or reproving is for my good, not for my ill. If you only want to hear the things that are good then there's a great possibility that elders may offend you because we only want to be encouraged. Sometimes a rebuke can be encouraging. I was going down the wrong path. You told me it's wrong, and I appreciate that. You must say, I want to be obedient. I actually do want you to shepherd me. And if I'm doing something out of line, then correct me. I need to know it lest I go down a path of falsehood and ultimately to destruction. Again, I said this earlier, uh, we sometimes in the West, not not every single person, but generally we have a lack of respect for the office of authority. How many of us during uh, the last uh, uh, office, those who were the person who was sitting in the highest uh, so-called highest office, the presidency, how many of us said that's not my president? Whether you liked it or not, he's your president. How many of you now with the President who's sitting there in, in the office, uh, Trump before, Biden now. How many of you are saying now? And that's not my president. He's your president. He has been given an office, and we must respect him for that office. Do we agree with everything he does? No. Did we agree with everything the last president did? No. How about the one before him? No, we didn't. But we must respect the office. Americans have a strong anti-authoritarian view. We don't value authority. And let's be careful because we could raise our kids to have the same kind of attitudes. To not value authority. That when someone who's been given charge over you tells you to do something, you do it. 
I don't, if I don't like this, then I'll just go somewhere else. If he says something I don't like, I'll just go somewhere else. We fight against this uh, authority in the church even. We must resist favoring in this authority. Well, I like him better. I like that pastor better, so I'll listen to him. But if he tells me something, I'm not going to do it. That other one. No. Your elders have, have been given an office. And it is our responsibility to submit to the pastor. Not say, I'll submit to pastor so-and-so, but not to pastor so-and-so. You must not say in your heart, as some of us did about the president, not my minister. No. God has called you to respect and highly esteem. And when uh, I was off for a month or two that I was, while we were uh, kind of getting used to our new baby, I, in the same way, submitted to Pastor Isaiah. Sat there, I'm one of the sheep. And even as I'm an elder, I'm one of the sheep. This is what we do. We must not play favorites with your elders, lest we become those who say, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos. Paul says, did your elders die for you? No, they did not. You are called to uh, submit to your shepherds until they bring you to glory, until God brings you to glory. Uh, Finally, another challenge is no longer seeing, this is the final one, no longer seeing your minister's feet as beautiful. Uh, Let me explain in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul speaks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Now think about this in that context. During the time of this letter, that letter was written, if Paul or Timothy or Titus or one other elder and one other minister didn't come to bring you the gospel, the gospel didn't come. If the minister didn't come and bring you the gospel, you didn't get the gospel. They would not have known Christ if the minister did not come. They would not have known Christ if the minister did not bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. They would not have been saved if the gospel didn't come. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the dilemma today, dear ones? The dilemma is if you don't hear the gospel from your elders, you can hear it from a thousand different ministers. In a more eloquent, engaging, charismatic, uh, with uh, an accent kind of way. I sure do envy accents. I'm sorry. I sure do. You've gone to churches. I have too. Where we said in our hearts, I wish my church was more like that one. I wish my pastor was more like that guy. And again, I know this is true because I've said the same thing. I wish that pastor, I wish I was more like that guy. Is the voice of your elder becoming nothing more than white noise? Have you become desensitized to the voice of your elder? Does his preaching no longer move your soul? Is he saying something that you can get anywhere else at any time? One of the dangers that we can have is being on two opposite ends of the spectrums. We can be on the one spectrum that says he's not deep enough. I'll just tune out and not listen. And the other end of the spectrum is he's too deep. I'm just going to tune out and not listen. We should be those who come with eagerness to hear God's word. The minister, the gift that God has given you for your soul has brought the word today. I will listen intently. I'm all ears. And I know it's a challenge. I will tell my body, sit up, wake up. The word of God is going forth now. I will tell my flesh and fight against it. The flesh that wants to tune out this voice that sometimes, even though I'm loud, it's just like loud, but I just, I can't, I'm just tuned out now. Instead, I'll hang on every word. Because they are the, the, the word of my Savior to me. One of the dangers is that we have so many options, so many churches. Not happy here? Go down the road. Not happy there? Go around the corner. Could you just, could you leave this church? And be at another church in a heartbeat? Or would it break your heart? 
What do you do when the church is so fractured and divided that you can leave the church without leaving the church? It's a, sad, it's a sad state of affairs. We must see this obstacle. We must be aware of it. Are you prone to less esteem your elders because of the easy accessibility to preaching? Hey man, when I'm out of here, if I don't go to church, I'm just going to listen to you fill in the blank, whoever that is. I really like their preaching. Do you, do you ever listen to your elders' sermons throughout the week? Or is it every other pastor in the, in the world? There are times when people ask me about a certain subject that I've preached on and thought I did pretty darn well. Or that Pastor Isaiah's preached on and I thought he did pretty good. Hey, do you know anything about the Abrahamic Covenant? Mm, a little bit. <laughs> you know I can find a good sermon on that? Maybe. You ever go through our archives? I just don't want to hear your voice. I hear your voice every Sunday. I want to hear someone else's voice. I get it. For the minister, there's a temptation on his side too. The temptation on his side is to, I want to be the voice that you only listen to. I want to be the magnet that you are drawn to. So there's a balance there. If someone were to ask you, uh, who has had the, the greatest influence on your soul spiritually? I personally would say, my elders. I would not say, some other minister. Because that minister hasn't been given, given charge over my soul. But the challenge of the minister is to want to be that voice and that only voice. And that is not where we belong either. There's a great balance there. I encourage you, listen to as many people that you can that encourage you, that are teaching subjects that you are interested in. Do that. Encourage you on that. But they are not your pastors. And we don't want to be the only voice that you listen to either. I don't know if that's a good balance. There. I hope it is. Maybe some of you can encourage me on that or correct me on that afterward and say that that's a fair balance. But there are some pastors who they want to be the entrepreneur. They want to be the mover and shaker. They want to be the person that everyone is drawn to, the personality that everyone is drawn to. The danger with that is when the when you're gone, so is the church. Unless you can clone yourself. We've seen a lot of ministers fall recently, haven't we? One apologist find out that he's had all these different massage sex scandals he's dead and gone but after investigation it's true another minister this rock star minister you know the torn jeans and the ripped shirt showing the biceps multiple affairs multiple affairs now what do you do with that that large church in Times Square Celebrities were going there. Justin Bieber, Kevin Durant. And then now, this magnet that everybody was drawn to has fallen. We don't want to be your God. And you shouldn't want us to be. Christ is your God. Follow Christ. Where is Christ preached? Then go there. Is he preached faithfully by whoever's standing there, whether age, no matter what age they are, no matter what letters are after or before their name, is Christ preached? Then listen with all ears and submit to the word of Christ. Respect them. Esteem them. I will esteem them for their work. I'll be a good member. I'll be humble in ways that I maybe I haven't been. I'll not put more requirements on them than God does. I will thank God for, for all of the ways that God has blessed our church with them. God has brought me here. You know that. God has brought you to this church. You guys could go to any church in all of Bakersfield. You came here. Do you know that, that as you are here, God is working things in and out of you that maybe would not be worked in or out of you in some other church? There, you are being challenged by things that maybe you would not be challenged by in another church. Praise God for that. 
some of us would will run from that and say, I'll just go to another church. I can sit in the corner and hide and not have to deal with myself. I'll stay here and face it. I'll, I'll allow God to sanctify me through it. I'll be confronted with myself. God is our Savior. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Our Savior will return for His church. He is presently reigning among His people and conforming us to His image for His glory. We belong to the same Christ. And as we wait, this is how we must conduct ourselves. The church is is not about me or Pastor Isaiah. It's about the ministry of Christ to the church. And if we do this faithfully, highly esteem your elders for their work. I pray that you see the, the feet of your elders as being beautiful still. Because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The amazing grace of God that is brought to us Lord's Day after Lord's Day. As the word of God is brought. Not because of a personality. Christ is the glue here, not a personality. We exist because of Christ. We live these things out because of Christ. We are saved ultimately because of Christ. We'll be glorified one day because of Christ. We will be together in glory one day because of Christ. So as the word of God goes forth, exalt your Christ and praise him for the elders that he has given to you while we wait for the blessed return of Christ. Let's pray.